Hey everybody, before we start this week, I want to talk about a live event that I have coming up with SPAC. Join us on June 21st at 9 a.m. Pacific time for a live webinar on LinkedIn called Let's Really Talk About Orchestration and Customer Journey. The SPEC team, Nate and Patrick, will be joining me live right there on LinkedIn, and we're going to talk all about their company, about what orchestration really means, about what customer journey really means, and why you should know about it and what it means for your fraud fighting future. In the meantime, please visit www.specprotected.com to learn more about the patented trust cloud and how it can help you out today. And even send them a little email and maybe get a demo that they'll show you right live on your own site. It's really cool. Hey everybody, welcome to a live version of the Fraud Boxer Podcast. We are here today at the MRC 2023 in Las Vegas. I have um, one of my good friends here with me today. He's agreed to do this. Um, I forced him to do it. He agreed to do this with me live here at the show. This is the first time I've ever recorded one live in, in person. So um, bear with me as I, as I work through the audio on this episode. We're going to do a few of them here. Just kind of live from the ground, what's going on, what people are up to, what they're learning. This one's going to be slightly different here because I think this is something that, that a lot of people are, are curious about people are scared about i think there's a lot of uncertainty there's a, there's obviously a lot of news about it but i have dave sensi here who is the vp of product management at mastercard for the crypto and nfts so yes everybody it's the crypto episode thanks jordan for having me i'm looking forward to this conversation and it's awesome to be doing it here in uh, live in vegas at the mrc yeah so um how's your conference going so far for you it's it, actually I'm excited to see that there's more Web3 native companies uh, at the conference. There's been a fair bit more than I expected. Uh, so it's good to see the MRC, which is historically focused on payments and risk, uh, start bringing that into the Web3 world. So it's been going well. So I think so I'm on the conference committee here for this particular one this year. Um, they were nice enough to invite me to help with that. And I think that a, a lot of the focus of having these people like me, some some new people in here helping guide the content is I think there was a lot of feedback that that it's great that we have a lot of new people in the industry that are, are first time fraud payments people. But there are a lot of season for people here that need to see new emerging things and, and dive a little deeper into the weeds on what's happening. And Web3 obviously is is I, I'm going to have you define that. But usually we think about that as, as crypto NFTs and those sorts of things. So what is your definition of Web3? What a good question. Uh, so I would. This is how I would position it. Uh, Web one was uh, businesses putting content online for people to consume. I look at Web two. Uh, my personal perspective is this is now individuals that are able to contribute content to yeah. these large businesses. You think of social media platforms. I remember like that. I remember like, like two thousand seven, like six seven was there was was Web two 2.0 really entered lexicon, and it was a lot of like those. Those sorts of websites, user-driven content, big buttons, you know, nice, easy user experiences. So, yes, I remember that. Yeah, and then when I think of Web3, it is still user-generated content, but actually owned by uh, the users and not an individual entity. So you're giving back uh, the control to the consumer and with transparency, which is part of the reason why this lives on the blockchain, which is... I was uh, just going to say, it sounds like we're going to be talking about blockchain. Yeah. And we are at some point, I'm sure. 100%. 100%. 
uh, <laughs> we, were, we were making a joke about an old comedy bit earlier, so I'm sorry. There's a little uh, inside joke laughter there. So let's let's take it back a little bit here because you know I don't I don't like to just have random guests on at any time without any sort of context about who they are to me. So um, you and I met a couple of years ago, a few years ago. Obviously, when I was at Ticketmaster, I was a uh, we we were pretty good partners with with the Mastercard portfolio. And we have a lot of the MasterCard prod products when I was there. Um, now at iHerb, I still work with you a lot. We do panels together. Uh, we did the, the, the uh, MasterCard Risk Conference last year in Miami. Right. We did a panel together. We had a lot of good time. We played some terrible rounds of golf. Um, it was all around a good time. But how did you and I meet? What's the story there? Yeah, so uh, Jordan and I met, as he, as he said, he was one of uh, MasterCard's customers. He had reached out wanting to get some additional support, understand additional products that MasterCard had. Um, I was supporting some new data products and uh, offered to get in and come talk to Jordan. And Jordan and I originally met off literally a one-on-one conversation. Jordan said, what's MasterCard doing? How can we better work together? And that's how we first met. And I think it's important for a lot of people that don't necessarily have these types of relationships with their with their partners is there's a reason that we call them partners. And especially when, when you're a large enterprise merchant, like you need to have real, honest, open conversations. And and it's it's working together as a partnership. And spending time to nurture those relationships can help you out a lot, not just on better pricing, which is always what everybody wants, but helping understand what you could do to get more out of that partnership, whether it be help with authorizations, whether it be just better understanding of the product portfolio, better use of a product. Like you might have a product that you're paying for and you're not using it to the maximum ability. So I really encourage everybody to have these conversations, even if they start out as because you're, something was wrong and you were trying to get it fixed and you're just trying to figure out who can help you with that, but maintain those relationships. It's, it's not, it's not, these relationships shouldn't be transactional. They should be like continuous. Yes. And it's, it's, um, it's one of the benefits we've had. So although you, you know, we originally worked together on one specific product, as you said, we've done panels together. Mm-hmm. Um, we've golfed together. You've uh, purchased additional products across the board, and uh, we continue to foster this relationship. So since I've known you, you started out as a VP on, on the, well, you were on the new data side specifically, right? Yeah, so I was in within MasterCard's fraud deport, department on the new data side. And, and new data does behavioral biometrics. It's kind of a passive bi- biometric product. It's a pretty cool product for people that, that don't know. Like, I definitely encourage you if you have any curiosity about biometrics. I know it's, it's, some, it's a word that we, we toss around a lot, you know, just like we do machine learning. But they have a pretty cool product that, that does passive biometrics looking at, at lots of different data points. So I encourage you to like reach out to people and, and ask more about that. So you started on that, but you have since transitioned into this crypto role. Now, obviously, I think when you transitioned into this crypto role, crypto was on fire. They were everywhere. It was doing really, really, really well. Over the last year, it's had a little bit of volatility. I think a lot of us have watched the news. We see the FTX thing happening. But I think it's really interesting that MasterCard specifically as known as like this big credit issuer network that we all have something in our wallet that's related to them is focusing on crypto. And I definitely would like to know about what your role is and what you do specifically and what MasterCard's into in crypto and what that means for you and what your day looks like. Yeah, a lot of good, a lot of good questions and points there. And uh, I like that you hi- kind of highlighted some of my career that I had done at MasterCard. Um, and I actually want to back up before I get into that specific question. So payments, right? So that's what you and I are in today. Uh, I got into payments candidly because uh, out of college I needed a job. Yeah, I think that's and, how we all got yeah, it. Like we never we, were like we're going into payments. No, we did not. So in 2010, uh, I got into uh, I applied for Mastercard. 
Uh, I started out in our technology team where I was literally writing code uh, for six hours straight. It was it was better than I make it sound, but that's where I really uh, took time to learn and understand payment processing and all the data associated with it. From there, I shifted over to fraud product. That's where I started working with companies like New Data, other merchant products that uh, MasterCard offered, uh, and spent a lot of time there. And during the pandemic, during 2020, mm. I actually found myself scrolling through TikTok, uh, and I came across a horse racing game, and I was okay. I was intrigued, and I had no idea what I was watching. It's just like that that Japanese game where it's like they, it looks like it's on a horse racing track, but there's like different things. So <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the exact one, um, but what after? So I looked into this and I started researching it, and what I found out this was actually NFT horse racing done on the blockchain, and I was super intrigued. I'm like, how does this technology work? Why is it all over the internet? And I started looking into it. So so much so that I started buying. NFT horses, breeding them, trading them, racing you them. You can breed an NFT horse. You can. There's so much you can do with NFTs. Does it grow up like a like a gigapet? You can. So you can continue to race them after their. Uh, I think you have to wait like 14 days. But this was back in 2020. Okay. Um, so I was very intrigued by the whole concept of blockchain, NFTs, crypto. What could you actually do in that space besides just horse racing? So I actually decided to make a career shift, wanted to stay within MasterCard and found out we had a crypto team. This was in uh, this was in late, uh, probably mid 2021. And I officially moved over to MasterCard's uh, global crypto team um, in December of 2021. And I've been there since. So let's talk about your team then. Let's talk about what that team does specifically and all that fun stuff. Yeah, let's get into that. Um, so my team, uh, we head up products specifically for on and off ramps in and out of Web3. So what does that mean? That means getting money into the ecosystem and getting money out of this ecosystem. That's crypto cards that you see in the space. That is uh, working with large crypto exchanges, large NFT marketplaces to better enable card acceptance. So if somebody wants to buy an NFT, they can easily do it with a card or crypto, we give them choice. MasterCard's obviously not offering uh, the, the, to be able to purchase goods with crypto directly, but we wanna be able to uh, have them have choice to be able to buy these with a card. Uh, additionally, that works for NFTs and crypto. So my team focuses on the acceptance front, the crypto card front, and it's in and out of Web3. So it's bringing what MasterCard does to the Web3 space. And, and then you guys obviously have an, an excellent infrastructure because your MasterCard, you know, networks have to have a, a good infrastructure. So I could see how that would be something. So let's let's dive down another layer into specifically what is crypto, what is an NFT, and then I know like what we call it fiat currency, right, is regular money. So let's kind of define those things just so when we start jumping back and forth in terms if the listener is unfamiliar, uh, they're probably not listening to a crypto episode if they're not. Yeah. Though, but, you know, um, yeah. Well, yeah, let's cover some bo uh, core basics. So uh, when I think of a uh, blockchain, it's uh, I, the simplest way I can describe it is it's a database that is made open and available to everyone. And there's multiple copies of it across uh, the web. So that way it's very difficult to uh, spoof it or fake it. So it's, a, it's essentially an open distributed ledger database that anyone can go view and see uh, who owns what or what types of transactions happen. So that's how I call it what a blockchain is. Crypto is a specific type of digital currency that lives on that blockchain that can be used for uh, commerce, can be used for a variety of things. And in, in you, when, when you look at crypto, like if you had, we'll just say Bitcoin because that's what everybody always, it's, it's the easy one that everybody knows. But when you have a coin, let's say you had a whole coin, it's the easiest way. It's on that blockchain, it exists on that blockchain, it has an identity, it has a token number, 
and then you send it to me, and then I, as a person, could see, or or anybody can go and see that they had a digital identity that was yours, and then it went to me, and then if I sent it to somebody else, they can follow that whole journey of that one singular coin forever, can't they? All the way back to creation. So it's it's not tied to individuals, it's tied to wallet IDs. And you don't know if that wallet ID is uh, a specific person, you just know it's a wallet ID. But that is the concept of the ledger, you're 100% right. You can trace the history of a specific coin, a specific wallet ID, see what they do, what they interact. And it, but that's also very beneficial from proof of ownership. So it's, mm. hey, this specific wallet ID owns this, they have funds to cover this, if we're talking about digital currencies. Um, so there are benefits of having this di distributed digital ledger that everyone can log into and validate specific transactions to see, hey, who owns this? Who doesn't own this? What's what's the history of this? Yeah. So one of the things that like I, I I've tried crypto. I bought a Litecoin long. This is years ago, back in the initial craze. Um, I worked at a company that we accepted Bitcoin uh, for payments on, for gift cards. Yeah, but it, we used BitPay to just, we instantly settled into fiat currency. Like we just, we didn't touch the coins. One of the downsides of that though is like um, some of the, the people in the world thought that we had our own wallet. So we were like, we were constantly trying to hack our site to see if they could find out if we had a whole bunch of coins in a wallet somewhere. This was back when Bitcoin was like 500 bucks. But one of the things that um, I am, am curious about as far as, this, as the blockchain ledger goes is obviously, is there one? Is there several? Like you said, there's a bunch of copies of it. Does Does each type of currency... Cryptocurrency have its own chain? Is there like yeah? Tell me a little bit more about that. It's a good question. And when I talk about digital currencies, um, there's a variety of them, right? So you have the uh, you have stable coins, which are um, stable coins that are backed by a specific uh, commodity. It could be gold. It could be a U.S. dollar. It could be the British pound. Um, it's always backed by something. There's different types of stable coins. You also have uh, cryptocurrency, which are things like Bitcoin, Litecoin, the other type of cryptocurrencies we're talking about. And we also have CBDCs, which are central bank digital currencies. These are digital currencies that are um, introduced by governing bodies. Uh, for example, in uh, the Bahamas, there's the San Bohemian dollar. So when, when people hear cryptocurrencies, they generally think of a volatile cryptocurrency where its price fluctuates drastically, um, like some of the ones we've talked about. But there's a variety of digital currencies. They don't have to be volatile. You can still get the benefit of uh, the, the ledger and wallets um, and the transparency on other types of digital currencies. But back to your question around the blockchain, the wallet, are there several? The answer is yes. So there's different blockchains for different currencies and there's different wallets for different currencies and different blockchains. Um, so I almost like, personally, I like to look at this as the early days of a specific industry where every, the winner's not decided yet. And uh, you don't know which one's gonna win, but they each have their benefits and they each have their downsides. Is there a, an ability to have, I, I think like a lot of the NFTs, the initial NFT craze, if I'm not mistaken, used Ethereum and the Ethereum blockchain. That is correct. So um, is there a way, do you see a world where there's ever a standard block chain that multiple things are listed on, or does it have to be segregated by the type of, of currency that it's dependent on? That's a really good question. Uh, I believe that there will be a few that last. Uh, today, I think if you go to uh, CoinMarketCap or Masari, you'll see that there's like 2,400, uh, it may be significantly higher, different digital currencies, but I know it's well above 2,000. So then if you think about the number of blockchains, the number of wallets, uh, I do think long term there will be a clear winner, uh, but I think multiple exist because they each have their different benefits. Um, 
So yes, definitely I think there'll be a clear winner, but I think there'll be multiple just due to the different use cases between each, each different wallet ID, each different chain. But there are some technologies that are coming together to kind of have like an aggregated view. So you can log into a platform and say, okay, I have this type of currency on here. I have these NFTs on this platform and I all have them stored here. So essentially you can get like, it, it, it's showing multiple different blockchains all in one single view, kind of like how we do on databases when we need to search those things. Yeah. From a consumer perspective, yes. That's interesting. Do you, is there a lot of value for, like I, I'm going through my head of scenarios like when I would want to look at the chain. I think like if I was somebody that was like buying like NFTs and stuff that I would definitely want to like have proof that like it was really tied to your wallet ID that's sending it to me and not a copy like everybody says you can just copy the picture. And then, yeah. yeah. So, so this is where we get into like the benefits and use cases of the underlying technology, the blockchain. And what I'd like to do is just think of examples in our everyday world, unrelated to crypto, where it would be beneficial to have an open ledger. Um, my wife and I currently uh, are building a house and we had previously just bought land. And the process of sharing the deed, transferring the mm. deed to someone else, showing all the paperwork that I have, then submitting my deed to a new entity, applying for a mortgage, all of these steps, if my documentation just lived on a distributed ledger, I could literally connect my wallet to these platforms and that they would even be able to quickly see that, yes, Dave, is, this wallet ID he provided me is the owner of this deed. And you can see benefits like that um, for the blockchain. Are, are you seeing any local governments using the blockchain in a way like that? Good question. Uh, candidly, I guess that would be something outside of my expertise. Okay. Yeah. Very political answer you did right there. <laughs> I like that, you know. Um, you know, I, I used to work for a ticketing company, and it was, it was news that, that we had invested heavily at that time into, into a blockchain technology. Um, it, it does get utilized. I won't really say where it was utilized. It's kind of like a company secret there. But I know a lot of people have been, have been very um, curious about how like, blockchain technology would, would affect event ticketing because then you can really prove ownership of a ticket and you can kind of track the life cycle of a ticket. But usually when you, when you have that in event ticketing, there's more that's tied to just the blockchain because they want a little more data about it. The idea is, you know, like the, the, the big theory that, that I think a lot of ticketing companies and a lot of venues were trying to do, was trying to solve was, um, you know, they have like a 20,000 person arena and they don't really know who is in the building. Right. Traceability. Yeah. And like, it's not necessarily just to like market to people, but you know, if something goes wrong, they need to know who was in there. But the idea of, of, of like understanding and, and identifying your, your customer is really hard when people are selling just paper tickets outside for to who knows who, you know, before they go in. When if you have something that, that lives on a ledger, they can track the lifestyle of, of that ticket. And the same thing with like with airplane tickets, with like bus tickets, like they can track a more lifestyle, a holistic approach of what's happening and get a better understanding of their customers and what their customers are up to. A hundred percent. I would also add something to what you said. So you referenced like people outside reselling items. Well, how do you validate that this is actually authentic, right? Mm. So there's companies that are doing this as well. Think of shoes, think of expensive bottles of liquor. How do you validate this? So what some companies are doing is they're putting the provenance of the original item on the blockchain. When you buy a physical item, let's say a signed jersey, there's a certificate of authenticity that's represented by an NFT. And that is your proof that this is a real item. And this lives on the blockchain. So the, I want to play devil's advocate for that a little bit there. Because granted, you handed me a piece of paper for this jersey. But then I could go just write a random fake Kobe signature on another Kobe jersey and still pass that, that ticket, like that, that certificate with it, couldn't I? So that is if there's nothing. To, so it, devil's in the details, right? So that if there's nothing specific 
on the item itself that links it to the NFT, you have a problem. But what some companies are doing is they're either putting NFC chips, specific barcodes, specific things that directly tie that NFT directly to the item. So mm. yes, things can be counterfeited. Devil's in the details. If it's done appropriate, not appropriately, properly, it's not, it, it shouldn't be a problem. So agreed if it's done, if it's mishandled appropriate or inappropriately, meaning you just sign and make a copy, then you're correct. So one of the things that I've always said that I, I think is the, the most clever thing is, is I, and the most promising of, of all the, the, the crypto stuff is the blockchain. I think that there's a lot of use cases and practical use cases there that, that will extend and better society in, in a multitude of ways. And I think that we are, we're starting to understand that more and we're starting to, to, to use it more. Um, so I'm happy to do that. And, and, and thank you for, for breaking down the blockchains of my questions because I'm trying to learn on this, you know, like, I don't know, I don't pretend to know a lot about crypto. Like I know just enough to get, to get by at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, so I think that that's, that's a big thing. Now, some of the, the, the I think a lot of people that's probably listening is they're going to see a lot of like this FTX stuff. They're going to see some of the bad that's happening in the crypto world that I think does outshine, at least in headlines, the good. So, so talk to me about like, talk to me just about what's good about this whole thing. Like, tell me all the good. Yeah, it's a great question. So as I guess, as I look at um, some of the stuff that's happened, what's, what's going to come out of this is regulation so we can all operate in this space safely and follow a similar guidelines of rules, right? Uh, we don't want the Wild West. We want some level of agreeance on how we should operate in this model. Uh, and there's a couple of things um, MasterCard has started to do to kind of follow in those footsteps. Uh, one is we launched a product called Crypto Source, which is actually what this actually does is it works directly with financial institutions where a consumer could log into their banking app, a trusted party that they already have a connection with, same place they have their bank accounts today, and buy, sell, and hold crypto within those platforms. So for those crypto, crypto curious consumers that are interested in getting into the space, not really where to start, MasterCard launched a product called Crypto Source uh, that is focusing on that. Um, yeah, so... I think that that's, that's interesting because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, crypto's original intent was to skirt the regulations. And I think that some of the, the headline-grabbing news lately is a great example of why we have regulations to begin with. Like people that are in these rug pulls where they, they, they create these, these coins and then they just take the money and they run from selling it and the coins are become worthless, but the founder made a ton of money. But that's the reason that we have banking regulations. So I get that people wanted to try and keep their money off the books. They wanted to keep the tax man away. They wanted their purchases to be hidden in secret. But they always claim they want that until something bad happens to them. And then they cry and they say, why isn't anybody helping me? Well, that's what we were trying to do with regulations. So I think you're right. Like, There's going to have to be a balance. What? And also, if you want scalability, you want to bring in the average consumer. The average consumer doesn't want those negative things. They want some level of security. Yeah. They want some level of confidence that what they're playing in is safe. So if you actually want to scale something like this and benefit from blockchain technology, this is this is definitely needed. Yeah, I think that, that, that bringing in legitimate players, I guess I'll just say it, into this space is going to... Is going to there's going to be offshoots of, of the things that the people that, that have are a little more risk adverse become playing in it. I think that those things will, will wind up being a lot more popular in the space, you know, because those are people right. that, that are using it in a more traditional sense, but they're benefiting from the technology, the underlying technology underneath it. 
but they're they're benefiting from the safety and the security of the regulations. And there'll always be those people, I'm sure, that will be slipping shite coins here and there, <laughs> you know, uh, trying to buy stuff on, on dark web, you know, those sorts of things. But yeah. Um, I think another really important trend that I would bring up is, you know, I talked about scalability, but um, ease of use, right? So if I look at, do I think today that the average consumer is going to get into the space? I think the answer is no. So let's say that uh, when I say into the space, I mean involved in cryptocurrencies, NFTs, benefiting from the, uh, the benefit of blockchain the blockchain technology. I think of no. And the reason I say that is it's not, it's not very easy to get into it. So usually you have to create some type of decentralized wallet or sign up for an exchange, purchase cryptocurrency, connect your wallet to different platforms, buy an NFT prior to the networks making some changes. Uh, you would have to then buy cryptocurrency, transfer your cryptocurrency to buy the NFTs. It's just cumbersome. Like you're probably getting lost even listening to me. Um, so it's about simplifying that. So how can, it, how can anyone log into a platform, either they connect an existing wallet or one's already created and purchase the item that they want or benefit from technology without all of those steps? So the reason I bring this up as a trend is from an education perspective. You gotta make it easier and you gotta make it simpler. Do I think that we've made leaps and bounds from where we were? Yes, I do. Um, I think there's still a lot of room to grow. And that's why yeah. you see some of these companies coming out, putting out exchange exchange education material. How does this coin work? What is the best way to create, create a wallet? Because they recognize that this is an important thing to come uh, to, to get over. That's, that's a really interesting point. And I think uh, what we're going we're gonna to get into the point where we talk about um, what, what MasterCard specifically is doing, especially around the education piece there. Uh, I will say, though, that I, I literally just finished a panel right before we record this. That's why my voice sounds a little shot. Um, it was my second panel in two days here at the MRC. I did it on ATOs and what we're seeing in ATOs, some of the emerging things that we're seeing in ATOs, and some of the things that people could do to, to stop the different types of ATOs that are happening. But one of the, the, the partners that was on the panel was, was um, a marketplace called Etsy. I think a lot of people are familiar with that. And they have, um, they have very clever people over there that are, that are doing some really, really clever things around, around how they approach ATOs and, and how they approach the customer education piece. And I thought that that was super interesting is that they are spending a lot of time and a lot of companies are spending a lot of time, as he said, and you see it of, of educating end consumers of the risks and the things that they are right. about to experience. You see it on the Zelle. Are you really meaning to send money? Did someone call you and ask you to send money? You know, uh, making people aware of the scams that are happening. I think banks are, are sending out emails more and more and more saying, look for this type of scam. The IRS isn't really calling you and saying to give them 15 Google Play gift cards, right. you know? And I think that the education piece is, is where we are in the society. We have so much information, so much social media, so much disinformation being shared everywhere you ever look that... It's, it's sorting it all out and getting your information from, from these trusted sources can help a lot. And I think a lot of people do have a lot of trust in MasterCard specifically. So seeing education pieces coming from MasterCard could definitely be very helpful. So talk to me. Yeah, talk so, to me, yeah, so it's a, that, that's an interesting point, right? So when you think of education to a consumer, where does it usually come from? It comes from where that consumer is interacting. So usually consumers aren't interacting directly with MasterCard. So what can we do to better educate our customers to our consumers? And, and what, how that works is more from a franchise perspective. And what do I mean by that? So let's call it 18 months ago, if Dave wanted to go buy an NFT with his card, gen, generally speaking, that would mean I had to buy cryptocurrency first yeah. with a card and then go buy the NFT with that cryptocurrency, while the underlying intent was to always buy the NFT. 
So not the best experience. So how can we make this easier, which aligns with education? We can clarify that our rules are focused on if someone's buying an NFT, there's no need for that consumer to have cryptocurrency during that purchase. If they're able to buy this NFT directly, code it as the item that it most represents. So what I mean by that is MCC codes. I'm sure some of our listeners know that. I hope they do. <laughs> so so if, if you're buying a digital good for a, metal, uh, a metaverse game, you are not buying cryptocurrency. You're buying a digital good, so it should be coded as such. So from an education lens, we can adjust our rules and how we operate with our customers so then they can better educate the consumers directly. So I think we... we, we we were talking about the definitions of what some of these things are. And one of them that we didn't define was NFTs. And I think that's something that's come out in the last two years. Um, we all have heard about it. Um, we all see Trump cards being sold, you know, NFTs. Uh, we see, like, I, I know there's people that do, like, dinner party invitations coming in NFTs. Yeah. And it means non-fungible token, which is fun to say. Um, I think a lot of people make fun of NFTs. Like, they, you could buy this picture for $16 million, like Justin Bieber did, of this, uh, the Bored Apes, you know, and then the next week it's worth nothing, and I can right-click and then save to the hard drive, and it's mine, too. But that's not the one that's on the ledger, you know, at the right, end of the right, day. Right, right, right. But let's talk about NFTs a little bit, just to back it up and kind of define that if you could what is an nft to mastercard what does it mean to you as somebody that lives and breathes in the crypto space yeah it's a really good question uh so as you said it's a non-fungible token this is a, a an item that lives on the blockchain and and you hear a variety of different when someone hears nfts to your point they're usually thinking of some random picture of an ape and uh it what truly matters and the value is what utility is behind that actual NFT? What's its purpose? Um, I would tell you that for the Bored Ape NFTs, the ones everyone's very familiar with, there's actually a specific utility that comes with that, and ex it's exclusivity to a specific invite group to connect with other people that own it. So if I have a Bored Ape NFT, I can go like chat in this group with a bunch of other people that have a bunch of money? Correct. Now, I'm not going to put a value on that. I'm, I'm giving context here. But as I think of other NFTs, other items that live on the blockchain, it all depends uh, the utility behind it. Does this give me pass to the dinner I was just invited? Does this give me access to the dinner I was just invited? Does this act as my passport? Does this act as some proof of authenticity of an item? Is this, is this representing a, a physical item in the real world that if I burn this NFT, then I can get that real item? So the utility behind the NFT is what actually matters, not just the image of itself. I think that that changes, a, framing it like that changes the perception of what an NFT is. Because I think so many people only think an NFT is a bullshit picture. But when, when you attach a, a value of, of a physical thing or access, it's just like when I was at Ticketmaster, I would always say, we sell you access to the event. We don't sell you the event, but we sell you access to be in, the, in, in that building experiencing that event. And this, I guess the same thing is like, this is giving you access to something, as you say, the utility behind it. Correct. So let's, I want to hit on that access for a little bit. So uh, another very interesting thing for NFTs is let's say that you go to an event and it is an NFT. You can keep that ticket or NFT. We know people collect tickets. Yeah. This is another way to do that digitally. Um, so there's a variety of different benefits and use cases as it relates to NFT. But like I said, it comes down to the utility that actually lives behind that. Uh, I also, let, let, I want to talk about gaming for a little bit as it relates to NFTs, because we didn't hit on this. I actually own an NFT that only users with that NFT in their wallet gave them access to a specific game. So these are ways that you can launch Is alpha. It horse racing? No, it wasn't horse racing. <laughs> so it, this, this can give you access to alphas, betas, only to a targeted group of individuals that are holding this. Now, 
we know that items that live on the blockchain are interoperable. You can see who owns them. You can trade them, send them to other people. So I want to put a picture in somebody's head that may be playing games that's listening to this. If you think of any game you've played on a console over the past 15 years and you've spent any amount of money to get items in that game, you know what happens is at the end of you playing that game, you lose all of that content you bought. For games that are putting their items as NFTs, you're able to keep those game. You're able to keep those items. You're able to sell those items, and as games expand, you're able to take those items to other platforms or other games to still leverage them. That doesn't exist today. Um, but there are some Web three games where that does exist, but that does not exist at scale today. So, again, I want to play devil's advocate just because these are just thoughts that happen in my head. They might be happening to other people. So, you have that. NFT as long as someone hosts that blockchain. Correct. So who's hosting the blockchain and what happens if they want to pack up shop and leave? Good question. I would, um, so this isn't my expertise, but I'm gonna give my perspective, my personal perspective that's, on that's how this works. This is a distributed database, distributed tons and tons and tons and tons of tons of time. So you would need all of these databases to go do down. Do they all update at the same time though? Yes, yes they do. So it's, it's distributed all out at the same time. Anyone, anytime that there's an update, it goes to all of them. Is this, okay, that seems like a lot of infrastructure. Um, do you know anything about that? Or does that, is that punch in outside uh, outs, crypto? Outside of, yeah. <laughs> so as I said, I got into the space during uh, the pandemic because I saw horse racing. <laughs> I do want to talk more about the horse racing, but maybe we should do that over the happy hour. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about that, especially how you can like breed and raise horses. But anyway, um, I think that the, the, the blockchain thing is, they, they call it like forking, right? Is that when they make a new blockchain or what is that about? 100% outside my space. So, yeah, we kind of touched the, so you, you told me some of the stuff that, my, that MasterCard specifically is doing in the right. crypto space, the, the reason that you have a job. Um, anything else that, that we should know about what MasterCard is up to as, as we begin to wrap this up? Because we do have uh, obligations and happy hours to attend. Yeah, I, I guess as I look at it from the whole, MasterCard is, is focused um, on providing consumers choice when they're interacting in Web3. Uh, we do that in multiple ways, whether it's working directly with exchanges or NFT marketplaces, so that way they can have the option of uh, buying these items with card or on the reverse side, if they have cryptocurrency, stablecoin, CBDCs, and they want to be able to spend that at the uh, several locations that MasterCard's accepted, uh, enable them with a, a crypto card that can enable to do that. So it's about providing consumers choice how they want to pay, how they want to spend. Um, and that's really, I'd look at it from a high level. Do you think that this is going to help speed up banking? Because I think a lot of our complaints are, you know, we get take several days to get to move money around. And I, I think that, that that's legacy infrastructure there and it seems like this was trying to, to kind of make it more of an instantaneous thing and then you know Zelle was trying to help on the fiat currency with that but Zelle's having its own set of, of problems and volatilities um, what's my yeah good question what I would tell you is that the underlying technology of money remittances especially for cross-border use cases definitely you can get benefits uh, from the blockchain from that. There's companies that are actually solely focused in this uh, so a hundred percent I do believe that the blockchain will benefit the speed up of money movement between banks, between entities by leveraging the blockchain. Do you think it could help us mitigate FX and, and, and currency? Because basically at the end of the day, like in theory, once you get it into crypto, it's one currency. Yeah, there's a, and, and as we talked about this earlier, there's a variety of um, digital currencies. Uh, so you're talking stable coins, CBDCs, volatility, volatile cryptocurrencies. Uh, What's a stable coin? Uh, so to answer your question, I, I, the way that I would answer that is that banks, 
P2P, anyone that needs to transfer money cross-border is going to get the benefit of blockchain to transfer money through cross-border remittances. Uh, What are those benefits? That's going to be speed. That could be cost, a variety of things. To answer your question for stablecoin, so stablecoin is a digital currency that is backed by something instead of just a vol instead of a volatile cryptocurrency. Let's use an example of uh, USDC. It's like, like like gold coin or gold standard so it that could, we used to have. It that. could be. So USDC is something that's backed one for one for the US dollar. So every one USDC that exists, there is one dollar set aside that you can f- validate that there is a dollar set aside, and then now you have one USDC. You also have USD. Uh, but there's there's also gold backed stable coins. So let's say the current price of gold is like sixteen hundred, eighteen hundred. You're asking the wrong guy. Asking the wrong guy. I, I live in, so, in in this current century. So you like. could buy <laughs> you could buy one stable coin of gold. There's a variety of them out there, and for every ounce that someone owns, there is an ounce of gold sitting there that's backed up by that. So generally, high level stable coins is something that's backed by either a commodity. But if commodity, you tie something like to to a precious metal like that, like I mean the gold rush of the '90s, you know, when everybody was got to buy gold to get on the late night TV. But if you buy, if you have a coin that's tied directly to the gold, it's pretty much just gold, isn't it? Like, it's just like a, it's an NFT for gold at the end of the day, right? I, I guess the question then becomes, uh, isn't d- digital payments the same thing as cash, right? So there's benefits of being on the blockchain. There's benefits of doing digital payments. And that's why I'd say, yes, physical gold it's the same thing as having one. Like that coin should be the same price as the price of gold. It is. It is. If you match it up, it is. It's the same price of gold, except for it lives on the ledger. You can prove who owns it and you can huh. sell or trade it without me having to ship an ounce of gold to you. I could transfer well, it over the blockchain. What if I want to look at it and like touch it and like polish it? Put it then in my then you safe can go so turn I can get robbed. In, you can go redeem <laughs> it and get the gold. Can you, can you do that? Yeah. Who's so, holding this gold? So, well, so there's a variety of companies. But if you think of a stable coin, one USDC, you can go to exchanges and convert that for one USD. So that's how that's how it works. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that makes me feel a little bit better. I, I was a big fan of the gold standard. I wasn't alive when we were on it, but uh, I know that inflation was a lot different back then. Um, so this has been really beneficial to me. Uh, we're going to kind of wrap up because, like I said, we do have to get back to some of the party parties. Um Talk to me. I always do the three takeaways. So what are, what are three of the, the things that are important to you right now? Um, in order for us to get the benefit of this technology, uh, remittances, uh, block, uh, NFTs, and the utilities that live behind them, um, it, it comes down to education and ease of use, which are two. Um, and I just want to highlight an, an example. If I were to launch an NFT project and I required that everyone get a specific wallet and a specific currency, digital currency, let's assume, I'm immediately limiting my audience because the vast majority of people don't know how to do that. So as consumers, businesses move into the space, be thoughtful on the approach. Some of this stuff can be automated. You can have, you can provide choice to consumers when they pay, whether they want to pay with cryptocurrency, whether they want to pay with fiat, fiat being back, fiat being uh, a government issued currency like the US dollar, the British pound, the euro, et cetera. Um, so it, it comes down to ease of use, education to the consumers of the benefits, the downsides, the risks, um, how to operate in the space, um, and being thoughtful when moving into the space. So quick question, just because I'm thinking, like, I kind of touched on it a little bit ago, but it's still lingering in my mind. Um, as from on a payments acceptance side, so, so uh, obviously 
as an e-commerce merchant at iHerb, we take payments, and the, we take payments in a variety of currencies because we're in 188 countries, and we settle those in specific types of currencies. We pay FX. We transfer that back to euros, U.S. dollars, depending on which which settlement bank we're using. In theory, could I? I'm intrigued. Well, this I, I hope I don't just like change the whole world right now. What can I do? But what if I was to buy a coin in that local currency, and then sell that coin for the desired currency? Technically, I don't have to pay FX, right? So I have no idea whether you need to pay FX or not, but what I would say is um, in each of the countries, whether a stablecoin exists in that country or not, the main stablecoin that exists today uh, is backed by the U.S. dollar. But what, all- but what if I wanted, what if I wanted to use like a non-backed coin? Just to, to, I'm, talking, I'm talking I'm doing this like in, instantly. Like I'm talking this is happening in seconds. Like I buy this coin and then I sell this coin. Well, there's going to be costs associated with that, right? Like what, gas, so, gas fees or whatever, so, right? Uh, well, it depends where you're. It depends where you're buying. Fees. Yes, it depends where you're buying the coin, and then also the volatility so, associated uh, with that. Either coin. way, there's there's an exchange fee, whether it's foreign exchange or it's coin exchange. I'm paying an exchange fee, so that just kind of makes my whole point there. Well, and then I'm also thinking, like, what was the benefit? What's the benefit of you doing that? Is it to avoid something specifically? Well, I was just trying to see if there's a way that we could, you know, like FX, like people are paying, you know, ten. 50, even 100 basis points on, on, these, uh, on these exchanges. So like, if there's a way that we could leverage currency for, for changing between, leverage cryptocurrency for changing between fiat currencies, actual currency types, it could be something that could be beneficial for on an enterprise level, if that makes sense. So give me two more quick ones here, and then um, I'm starting to get thirsty. So, uh, you know. I just provided you two. Uh, yeah, okay. Education, okay. ease of use. I'll let you get okay. I'll let you get away with one more because you got you got the the, the cocktail eyes too. <laughs> what is the key? What what is my final uh, key takeaway? Uh, be interested. So as I mentioned, be uh, untrusted. No, be interested. Oh, that's like, yeah, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> be be interested. So as I look at my career path, uh, I started in payments. Uh, as Jordan said, it wasn't why well, I woke up one day and said I wanted to be in payments. It's where I landed, but then I uh, got interested. I shifted from technology over into, uh, so understanding the data behind payments, but not really truly understanding payments. Moved over to the business world where I was on the fraud side, which is where I had the benefit of meeting Jordan, and then got even more interested on TikTok. Uh, got intrigued by a new technology I knew nothing about. And now I've been involved in it for just under two years, and I plan to stay here a while. Mm-hmm. So yeah. not necessarily around crypto, but more uh, Dave's life lesson. So one last question from me. Please. Did you get the name of the horses? Yes, you did. So whenever you, whenever you would breed <laughs> a horse, they would always be titled as unnamed horse when you got them. And then you got to go add the name. It's stored it in the metadata on the blockchain. Uh, and we can actually look up some of them later, and I'll show you some of the horses that I named. They were inappropriate, weren't no, they? No, it was things like St. Uh, Louis Cardinals or different sports teams' names mm. um, or horse names that I heard in TV shows like the Peaky Blinders. That's very, very, very interesting. But you did get a name of Once they're named, though, you couldn't change the name. So if you... so, so it's on the blockchain. It's, that's the horse's name forever. Correct. So you got to make sure you spelled it right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's just like when you buy a domain. That's funny. Well, thank you very much for, for taking the time away from the conference to, to have a little chat with me. Um, hopefully our memory card um, was stable through this and the listener would have no idea that there was any uh, 
technical difficulties that we experienced while in this room, but we're back up. Thank you again, like I said, for, for giving me your time um, trying to explain some crypto. I know it's kind of a quick little episode in and out, everybody, but I'll encourage you to, to go ahead and read more about MasterCard's crypto division. If you have any documentation, give it to me. I'll make sure that it's in the description. I'm going to put your email and your phone number in the description too, so people could just give you a text message there. <laughs> and uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I all their questions. I appreciate you inviting me. I'm always happy to talk about Web3, especially someone that I've known for uh, several years. So happy to do it, and I appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed the content. Don't forget to visit my friends at Spec, who just happen to be this quarter's sponsors. Their patented TrustCloud platform can help you orchestrate the future of your fraud and payments journey for a quick and easy no-code implementation. It's really quite impressive. See it for yourself at www.specprotected.com today and ask for a demo on your very own site. Thanks again for listening.